Broadcasting live from the little bedroom, this is The Monstrous Feminine, a podcast where horrible humans talk about horror. My name is Zeba, and I'm joined by my wolf cubs, Mila and Louisa. And this is our last Halloween episode covering werewolves. And we're talking about the 2017 dark horror fantasy directed by Juliana Rojas and Marco Dutra, Good Manners. If you would like to hear one more bonus episode on this theme, then head over to our Patreon and pledge. Before we get into the film, go ahead and follow us on Spotify, YouTube, or the Apple Podcast app. You can find all of our links on our Instagram at the Monstrous Feminine Podcast. In this film, a shy and awkward woman named Clara takes on a housekeeping and live-in nannying job for a pregnant wealthy woman named Anna in Sao Paulo. One drunken evening, Anna divulges that she fell pregnant after cheating on her fiancé and that during that encounter, she fell asleep and woke up with a mystery man gone and a wolf outside the car. She says her family shunned her when she refused to spare them the embarrassment and get an abortion. Anna begins experiencing unpleasant pregnancy symptoms, and Clara notices that once a month, on nights with a full moon, Anna unknowingly sleepwalks and becomes violent whilst in a kind of hypnotic trance. As time passes, the pair begin a romantic and sexual relationship. On the next full moon, the baby tears its way out of Anna's stomach, killing her. Though she debates both killing and abandoning the wolf baby, Clara eventually decides to raise Joelle as her own. I feel like the moral question of what would you do comes up in this scenario of kill the wolf cub or raise it i shoot it right when it was born <laughs> i'm not gonna lie i don't think i would think that's a werewolf okay whatever it is needs to go i think the mystery of it would be more concerning to me it ripped itself out of her stomach well so did renesme it was very renesme in nature so you're saying you would um, I don't see you as maternal, so if you turn around and like, <laughs> yeah, I would raise that wolf club, I'm gonna be so... I'm just saying that I don't think I would immediately suspect it of being supernatural. What? <laughs> it tore her way out of her stomach. That was not a normal birth. That is the most significant clue <laughs> that something is strange. Clue? It was so furry. This is a Rosemary's Baby situation where that kid like was born with hooves or whatever. It was not a human child and it tore more back to the key point. It's like the latest term abortion. I would just get it right as it came out. (laughs) (laughs) Even if it's a monster, it's still a baby. And I think that there is a mammalian instinct to protect infants by the end it is quite cute it does pull on my heartstrings but i wouldn't allow it to get that far where i would form an attachment to it so zabi would shoot it on sight fair enough when clara was getting close to it i was like don't get close to it just like i thought it was gonna be more violent and like bitey so i feel like maybe i would have immediately killed it because i would have been instantly afraid because i would have just seen the aftermaths and assumed that it was like more functional than it's like limping quite pathetic 
actual newborn wolf self. But yeah, so maybe maybe an instant kill. I don't know. Maybe I would have done a little Moses, but without the basket, just like a little plonk in the river, so to speak. It's someone else's problem. Drop it off at the fire station, maybe. The hospital. At the vet. It kind of reminded me of when Stitch lands on Earth. He kind of looks like, you know, how Stitch ended up in a dog shelter and everyone's like, okay, I guess it's a dog. That's how I felt about this <laughs> The Monstrous Feminine is on Apple Podcasts, so please go leave us a five-star review and a little message. If you do engage with our content, you might just get a shout-out in our next episode as our Witch of the Week. This episode, our Witch of the Week, is Dan 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 5300 from America, who left us a five-star review and said, Imagine sitting in with four brilliant and passionate horror fans as they discuss a film and you're halfway there. The tone is casual and often hilarious with a wonderful shared chemistry between them. I've been introduced to a bunch of new horror films and new insights. It's absolutely worth a listen. This is the nicest thing that's ever been said. This is a it's cute so one. Nice. Yeah, this came from Apple Podcasts. That's always nice when people like, you could go out of your way to like leave a review. I think my favorite part of it is just what you said about our chemistry. We're for real friends. Friendly reminder that we're also on Patreon. For £1 a month, you gain access to our Discord. For £3 a month, you get to hear a cut discussion for my main episodes. And for £5, you get all that, plus a bonus episode. Please support us. Any contribution helps. So what did you guys think of the werewolf lore in this film? Because this was quite an original one. Soup's different. You're not bitten, you're born. Also there's still that close full moon transformation thing and you don't remember what you did and on the full moon what a fun removal of accountability i'd love that so much i've done some embarrassing stuff recently ish in the last year when blackout and i'm just like i don't know i was blackout they're not unlike one another you're a menace drunk and you're a menace as a werewolf after i finished i clicked on one review i saw it compared the film structure as two halves so like the beginning of the film leading up to this midpoint eruption of violence with the birth and then the rest of the film or like the beginning of like quote unquote the real film felt very reminiscent of Parasite and I loved that connection. I didn't make that connection watching it but actually it did feel like that in a sense where I was sort of confused when that birth scene happened and she died and I was like but is this the end of the movie? Like I didn't expect there to be anything after that which is interesting because we talk about a lot of like the monstrous feminine as like what is she gonna give birth to but actually we don't see the consequence of that a lot it's more like the building up to it the violence of that birth like in Rosemary's Baby the film ends but here it's like no we're gonna show you what it's like to mother this thing I think that there's been a lot of different opinions on the like first half versus, versus second half thing I really liked it. I really enjoyed it. I take the view of Trace Thurman for Bloody Disgusting, who said, up until that point, the birth that is. Good Manners is a nuanced romance between two women on opposite sides of the class divide. After that, the film morphs into a film about the bond between mother and child under the guise of a monster movie. Admittedly, there are two films that are merged together to form Good Manners, and you may like one of them more than the other. I love them both. And that's kind of how I felt about it. It's like a complete change in tone. Clara changes significantly because she like comes into her own as like a mother figure in a way that she was like not when she was just the nanny and housekeeper she was like really reserved and like quite shy and didn't seem as confident it's just a completely different like tonal switch at that point and it's way more like it just has a genre change as well it does go more fantasy 
there are other reviewers who didn't like it as much. Like Mike D'Angelo for the AV Club said, It's low-key place setter of the first act is so damn good that the subsequent shift from precisely observed naturalism to psychotronic mayhem proved slightly disappointing. There's nothing especially wrong with the arty horror movie that good manners becomes, mind you. And the metamorphosis, unexpected for those who haven't read a review or seen the poster image anyway, offers pleasures of its own. All the same, one can't help but mourn the loss of what had appeared to be a superlative drama featuring subtly incisive commentary on race and class that gets replaced by blunt metaphor. And then Diego Semarine for Slant Magazine said, As soon as a child is born, the film surrenders to this plot twist so completely that the whole thing becomes an unwittingly campy affair of ridiculous proportions. The trouble is that both co-directors are bold to derail what initially seems like yet another cinematic instrumentalization of Brazilian class racial relations. They're unable to subvert one of Brazilian cinema's worst stylistic habits, a certain mix of stiff, soap operic acting and formulaic Hollywood mise-en-scene that's devoid of structural experiments it's moldy copy of the copy of the copy of what Brazilians may have thought of a proper film should look like in the 1980s after binging solely on the most unoriginal of American cinema. We talked about in the background episode about how reducing cinema outside of America as just pastiches, a patchwork of American film, reducing it to simply that and not its own cinema in its own right is just ignorant completely centers Hollywood as like the dogma from which all creativity and filmmaking can possibly surrender to which I'm not denying its influence but it's just so frustrating because it's what makes Brazilian cinema so fantastic is its ability to intertwine genre and tone and themes I agree with you about that. I really like that it's experiments with genre much like the same thing I liked about Bacurau I like in this one. And I agree that that was a limited way of looking at it. I kind of agree with the first one in the sense that it does have like the thing that made me uncomfortable in the first one was the class and racial racial dynamics in particular. So I wasn't exactly sad to miss it in the tonal change. Actually, it was something I wanted to ask you guys about because I felt like their whole dynamic and perhaps it was deliberate but it was giving Mammy right up to the like breastfeeding the wolf cub, but like blood like the racial element was uncomfortable because I feel like, you know, when they began their romance for me, I want to root for the gays. I want to see them thrive. But in this scenario, their romance made me uncomfortable as much as I liked the representation, the dynamic of it, the class and racial dynamics of it kind of prevented me from rooting for it because I was like, I think it's inherently exploitative and too reminiscent of slavery era. And also another reviewer said that like her family is actually a plantation owning family. Like, I don't know. So maybe that was that context in there. It must have been intentional. It is hard to watch though. Like it is like infuriating to watch the dynamic play out. I do root for them in that like there is obviously like you're her employer that dynamic is wrong. There's the racial dynamic. There's a class dynamic. Like, it kind of feels like Clara... I mean, Clara does consent to, you know, having a sexual relationship. It does seem like she's, like, kind of... You know, she's in control of, like, what she wants to be doing. So then those scenes didn't make me particularly more uncomfortable than they're just, like, regular employer-employee dynamic. Like, that was uncomfortable on its own so it was also confusing like why is there a sexual relationship forming from this woman who like clearly doesn't respect you clearly like has fucking issues the way she speaks to you is like not with respect and so it was confusing to me like girl why 
for what reason when they finally were in a relationship obviously i was like this is sweet you're right Clara didn't seem not in control in fact i think anna seemed really infantilized not in fact like just a juvenile spirit so in that way clara's maternal energy um in some way gave her some agency back in the situation it's like she's destined to be a mother she always was mothering that woman and then she mothered her child in that way i guess like it kind of balances out because she has that nurturing energy but yeah it did make me uncomfortable overall you're right it was difficult to watch it play out I definitely think you're not supposed to root for them. The uncomfortable tension surrounding the racial and class politics and also just the employment situation, I feel like that was always like an undercurrent of tension, but then it didn't like wholly present their relationship as exploitative. There is tenderness there. I don't think Anna is completely unsympathetic as flawed as she is. And I like them towing that line i think it's a much more interesting and realistic portrayal of how it might happen it's just the mammy thing it's it really is hard for me to to get over that one i think if i just had class to contend with i might be able to like like if it's just employer employee but it's like the added of course race and class are heavily intertwined but the added element as well of like race into it is just hard to grapple with I get that what they were trying to do is like tell us that she is a maternal type of person. She's a nurturing type of person. But that led to like their intimate moments having that sort of like mammy quality to them. Like even when they're having sex, like she's like holding her head and like as if she were a child or like stroking her hair as if she were a child. And they have that kind of relationship. And so I get that that's like who Clara is. She's like a mother at heart. That's who she was like destined to be intentional or not that is how it like plays out especially because you're paying this woman like you're paying her to like be comforting to you and then also you're like now paying her to sleep with you like to be around to live in your house but then i'm like you're right she is just a comforting person and is it like me projecting because she is black you know like, why can't a black woman play a comforting thing? I don't know. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, I don't want to flatten it at the same time. But yeah, it definitely was a little bit uncomfortable. It wasn't an easy, like, yay queer relationship depiction is what I'm saying. I think it was made heavily complicated by that, which I guess was the point. But basically, going back to that quote is like when people are like, oh, I really like the first bit. I was a bit like, I wasn't like, I was okay with the tonal shift. I kind of liked that it took a 180 both in terms of just like a it was like such a cool like cinematic experimentation with like what you can do with tone and genre but i also just was okay to leave their relationship dynamic behind so i was like okay that happened we're moving forward i did think going back to that sex scene though i have never that i can recall seen a pregnancy sex scene let alone a queer one i was like she's gonna lick the baby like she was she was far along her pregnancy and she was crowning i didn't like it what are you talking about she was not giving birth this is like that scene in knocked up when he doesn't want to have sex in a certain position because he thinks he's like hitting the baby in the head with his dick they were fully channeling seth rogan at this point yeah i like the physics of it 
I would like to just say for the record that I thought it was a really lovely depiction and the fact that it was queer was just also bonus in terms of like representation. I think it's important to show that kind of thing, how like obviously two people or a pregnant person is still going to have sex throughout like what are they going to do, hang it up for nine months? No. So I thought it was really nice to see and a bit revolutionary in that way. So I was I was pleased with that. And it was just like a great sex scene. Like it was well done in general. Like in terms, you know, people can show two women and make get it completely wrong, but they I think they did it really well. When Clara twigs that her cycle or the moon cycle is affecting like her sleepwalking and her appetite, Clara cuts herself and puts it in her spaghetti. And I was like, Oh my god. Why did she do that? Anna was craving blood because she has a werewolf growing inside of her. She was so confident in that assessment situation. She was like, she needs blood. She really jumped to a lot of conclusions, actually. Even that she assumed that the moon had to do with anything was jumping to a lot of conclusions. I have heard and have observed watching all the new Brazilian reality shows on Netflix that they're really into astrology. And so she makes she makes a comment about like, oh, I'm 29. Like, haha, my Saturn return is this pregnancy situation but then I was like okay maybe Claire is just like she just follows the moon generally maybe that's just what she already was doing if she's like a lesbian then sure of course she'd know about astrology <laughs> I've heard and observed they're really into astrology like they really be knowing they're like we are into astrology but they're like really into astrology out there can we speak about the mon femme elements I guess well, pregnancy is the main thing. I think like this, the shots of like the baby moving inside her. I see videos of that IRL. Babies do be kicking and moving around and you can see them moving around. Like I think the horror of pregnancy, we just talk about like all the time. It's very Rosemary's Baby-ish in the like what's in there. The unknown of like what the fuck is growing in there. I guess everyone assumed it was a human baby, but they knew she knew something was off. The hysteria is something that feels very mon femme to me in this because Anna says that she feels crazy and she's constantly telling the doctor like something's wrong and the doctor doesn't really even engage what she's saying and talk her through each and every fear. He just keeps repeating it's normal, it's normal. He's not actually engaging with it. So I think in that way it does feel like mon femme, like you said, both in the mystery of like what's growing, it's kind of an abject space, but also in the hysteria of like a pregnant woman dismissal the werewolf as metaphor for not just puberty but like specifically the menstrual cycle and wombs and like the monstrosity of it and how that's not necessarily inaccurate or a damaging portrayal if it's something taken outside of like the cultural context of that weaponized against women I think like your period is not something that's always life-affirming I think the brutal and parasitic nature of pregnancy is completely ignored like we said in the last episode nature is something that can be horrific outside of like the cultural values we assign to it I don't necessarily think horror using pregnancy female bodies again that's obviously a narrow view of womanhood as we talk about it but in general how horror discusses and portrays female bodies it's not necessarily inaccurate to explore it in these monstrous terms one of the monstrous femme tropes as we all know is the monstrous motherhood trope i don't think that this is the same like it's not that because the motherhood is actually depicted as quite like it's a noble thing to do in this film but it's also more of like just discussing 
the monstrosity sometimes within motherhood. Like Anna sacrifices her life, her body. Clara sacrifices also her like time or life. At the end, she basically is you know committed to dying with Joel. I think that that's quite an interesting use of the mon femme motherhood trope. You know, it's kind of like twisting it. It's not making motherhood monstrous. It's just like showing how they're two sides of the same coin that like tender love and care and then that also like responsibility of it and there was a los angeles times quote it's called good manners a haunting tale of love and the burdens that come with it and i think that's like quite an apt summary i just thought like how similar that scene is of the the kid like bursting out of her stomach is to the chestburster and alien and i surprised i didn't think about that as i was watching it matt wolf for the arts desk noted the brief nod towards alien i mean i love the alien chestburster scene so i also adored this like in terms of the gore element as a horror fan i adored this as well equally unsettling this is even more so not that it could happen it's not gonna happen but i mean like more so because it's a pregnant woman you know didn't we talk about when we were watching Alien how the experience of watching that, if you have a womb and that is like a possibility for you, is it different if like somebody who doesn't have a womb watches it, the chestburster, and the experience is like projected onto them, that sort of uncanniness? I don't know whether I had like a different experience watching them. It felt similar. Can we talk about the fantasy elements of this film? I think that's one of the interesting genres that I find blended into it keenly noticed a little red riding hood reference i think at one point someone says big eyes big mouth big hands also like the dying kiss like when clara kisses her i'm like that's like so standard of like any fairy tale i didn't like that i don't understand the kissing a corpse thing so one review the sammy galif or gale for whynow.co.uk said that the horror tropes are wielded in this film in a guillermo del toro-ish way to tell a love story Ty was saying for our creature features that sympathetic gaze towards monstrous things how to love them how they love which is really I think very sweet and you're right very del toro cbs.com said in the credits the directors thank Angela Carter and Walt Disney among others and given how Carter and Disney reimagined children's stories as metaphorical frameworks to expose broader issues the script's lineage makes sense class desire motherhood responsibility to society all these themes are worked in to varying degrees I don't know about Walt himself Walt himself was a bad dude yeah what did you think of the second half of the film I think we should talk a little bit more about that like when he's First of all, the cutest friggin' kid in the world and so sweet. I love his little friends too. His friend with the cool haircut. I would have had a crush on him. R.I.P. Yeah, this film did not hold back. Kids dying. Yeah. He seemed to show like a little bit like traces of his humanity in the end when he doesn't kill her. Like, do you think he's relatively uncontrollable though? Like when he kills his friend and all that other... Yeah. His... Love for his mother was something that like grounded him. What did you think of the ending? Matt Wolf from the Arts Deck said it was like an apocalyptic finish. I just haven't seen an angry mob in a while. The way they took up pitchforks and glow sticks was really funny. A very fairy tale, very Shrek. <laughs> yeah. What a Shrek homage that is. Very Shrek. <laughs> I thought the glow sticks were so funny because it's like that's not the equivalent to like a stick on fire like the, the light was not just like for dramatic effect so that they had these like rave sticks going it was really funny to me in an american werewolf in london the end felt so abrupt like a rushed conclusion 
I don't know if this felt rushed, but it was certainly a surprising end and that I was like, are you sure? Like sometimes, you know, the screen fades to black and something else fades in. I was kind of waiting for like that epilogue. I don't know. I assumed they were going to confront the mob and he was going to be like, I'm cool now. Yeah, what if he spoke like a human or he's like, it's me. Is that me? It's Mario. Me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I thought they were definitely both going to die. I thought she was going to kill him before the mob got him. He'd like hold out her hand and then she'd like kill him. Yeah. Thank you for listening to The Monstrous Feminine. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, SoundCloud, and Spotify at The Monstrous Feminine Podcast and on Twitter at The Monfem Pod. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and follow us on TikTok at The Monstrous Feminine Pod for podcast clips and more fun. Brooms up, witches out. <laughs>